for the for the Dharma talk this evening as part of our service, I wanted to talk about work or or specifically what does it mean to to work mindfully. Uh, you know, the classic years and years ago, uh, first started talking about work-life balance. What is work-life balance? You know, you have to have a good work-life balance. You have your life and you have work, you have to balance it. And uh, one of my good friends, Joe, brought up a, a very excellent point in, in <laughs> bringing to mind there's no such thing as work-life balance. If you really think about it, there's no such thing as work-life. It's all life. It's all life. This idea that we can somehow compartmentalize some segment of, our, of what we do in a day is work, and this is how I am at work, and then this other part is life. Well, this is, what I, this is my life, and I have a good division between the two of them, and I have a good work-life balance. I, I'm 49. I've spent a lot of time in, in working, and I can, I can honestly say in my own experience that I, no matter how much HR ever tried to convince me that there's a, such thing as a work-life balance, it all felt like life. It just felt like life at a job or life, you know, not at that job, right? But I was kind of carrying myself around no matter where I was in it. So, so how can I do this more effectively? What, what does that mean to work mindfully or to be mindful at work? I thought I would start really with a story because in, uh, in my own life, one of the uh, most profound spiritual moments in, in, in me, in my history, happened at work. It was a, was a work-related moment. I wanted to, to recount it with you. My, my regular job, this happened a few years ago, I, you know, maybe four or five years ago. Pandemic makes everything weird, right? Was it three years ago? Was it seven years ago? I don't know. There's a period of time that it, time sort of got away with itself. But it, so this was a, f a number of years ago. I, I, as part of my job, I'm responsible for managing proposals. So, in other words, a company wants some services. I work in, in technology, in healthcare technology. And a company wants, is interested in some of our services, or they're looking to purchase services from my company and others for some healthcare technology. And they do it by issuing a request for proposal, right? RFP. We call them in the biz. So they issue an RFP. And often these RFPs can be hundreds of very detailed technical questions. But the thing is, is you don't have six months to answer them. They give you like two, three weeks, you know? So here you are, three weeks. Here's a few hundred questions that are highly detailed and technical. And as my job, I, I manage the process of getting this thing in, getting it out to the right people so that we can answer it effectively. And, and, and uh, a good chunk of this job is, is knowing that I have to reach out to these people who I, I respect, who I love, you know, as people, they're good people, friends. And no matter how busy and stressed they already are, I, I get to be the one to say, hey, 
um, I know you're all real busy and real super stressed already, but here's, you know, 60 highly detailed questions that I would like you to please help with answering, you know, by, I don't know, three days? Could you get it done in three days? So it is, under normal circumstances, this is kind of, it can, it can be a little stressful, right? But everybody knows it's important. It's part of how the company survives and grows and gets new business and lets other companies know what we do in a very detailed way. So, so everybody is usually pretty good with it, but it, it can be a little stressful. Well, a, a few years ago, uh, I had taken off um, for Christmas. You know, I, I did one of those things where I was going to be off for like, I don't know, like 10 full days, like a couple of days before Christmas, all of the time in between Christmas and New Year's, and then return to work after that. You know, you look forward to that, you know, let's hear those sleigh bells jingle. You know, everything about it is the best. I can't wait for it. And the day or two before my vacation was going to begin, I got an RFP, a large opportunity. And I remember like seeing the email come in and I, my emotional state went from sleigh bells jingling, you know, can't wait this, you know, to 10,000 RPMs, you know, in, in the blink of an eye. And it was, it was, I remember just, reading it and knowing everything is that whole image of my in my brain of what was going to happen over the next you know week and a half or two weeks of relaxation and reconnecting with family and you know at the time I don't know some cool movie was going to go let's go see that movie and this present Christmas trees and eh, just gone all of it and I remember thinking like how could how could they do this how could, how could, they must know, you know, this is an American company, they celebrate, I'm sure some of them celebrate Christmas too, they know that, and I, and I went from a sense of peace to pure, uh, if I'm being honest, just like anger and, and, and absolute, like, how could this be, how, 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 and, and I wanted, I wanted to, punch my computer. I wanted to throw it out the window. I wanted to quit. I wanted to run away. I, I couldn't believe they could do this to me. How could they do? And now I'm going to have to do this to these people that I admire. I'm going to have to turn around and I'm going to have to put all of, you know, the, uh, this stress on other, ruin their Christmases too, right? And that's, I, I get to be the one to do that. And I remember uh, you know, before I actually quit the job or punched a computer or anything like that, I at least had the wherewithal to get up and go for a run. It was December, it was cold, but I just needed to get away. I needed to get away from this evil machine that was del had delivered this news to me. And I, so I put on some sweats, you know, a scarf and everything, and I just, let's get out, let's clear my mind, go, let's go for a run. And I remember I, I was about a mile into the run. Not a, I wasn't about a mile. I was exactly a mile. I've run this thing all the time. And I was at, right at the point I know is about a mile from my house where this voice came out of nowhere. It, it came 
It came from the ether. It came from, I don't know what, but a voice in my mind shouted, you're doing it, Brosif. It called me Brosif, which is funny to me to this day because I've never used the term Brosif. I don't call any of my friends Brosif. My friends don't call me Brosif. Not even joking around, like, hey, Brosif. Never used that term. But, but that's what it said. It said, you're doing it, Brosif. And in that moment, it, it all became clear to me. All of the stress. All of the anxiety, the frustration, the wanting to like punch my computer, every piece of it had nothing to do with the RFP. It was me. I was doing it. They, they sent an email with an RFP and I took it. I ran it around in the machinery of Mike and spit out a thought that said, this is ruining your, your vacation. Which, which created the emotion, anger, frustration, super anxiety, horror, nightmare, right? Which spit out the desired action of punch my computer, quit my job, tell everyone to go to hell. Yeah, all of that stuff. And it was all me. I was doing it. It wasn't doing it. I was doing it. And in that moment, it was uh, a spiritual wash. I mean, just the, all of that anxiety, everything just, just washed away and I could see it clearly. I could see, oh, it's an RFP. It's some questions. It's an email. It's an email that somebody sent. And, and all of that heaviness went away. I could address it. I could talk about it. I could do something with it. I could send it to the right people with recognizing, you know, what it really was we're dealing with. But I didn't have to allow this thing to ruin me, to become, to ruin my entire vacation. I didn't have to punch any computers. I didn't have to quit any jobs. To get to the end of the story, we managed it fine, right? It was kind of no big deal. It wasn't that big of one anyway. And Christmas was great. The vacation was great. All of that was me. I created that. And for maybe uh, one of the most profound times in my life, I saw myself creating my own suffering uh, more clearly than, than any before. It happened at work. And, you know, here we are. Work is, is a fruitful place for the ego self to live and to grab a hold of these stories about work and what it means to work and make them something that they may or may not really be, right? So many folks, uh, you know, define their whole life about work. Like, well, you know, it's, a, it's the line at the party, you know? So, hey, so what do you do, right? And they're asking about your job, right? Well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a rocket scientist brain surgeon. Right? Is what you want to answer, right? But well, I, I handle RFPs for healthcare technology. It's not brain surgery, rocket science, but, you know, and all of a sudden I'm defining myself. I'm thinking about how I am. Is my life, is my personal brand worth talking about? Or is there somebody cooler to, you know, 
we kind of do this in work. You know, it can allow us to define our, well, our sense of well-being at, at work. It, it, is a, it is a wonderful place for the ego self to thrive, right? To create this picture of life uh, and measure it against, is it the picture that I most want or is it something much less than that, right? And, and here's that work-life balance thing. Like I either work or I have a life, and there should be a balance between the two, but in, in seeing these things clearly, and seeing that story that I, that I told my own experience clearly, there is no such thing as work-life balance. It's, it's all life. It's all life. I am me, no matter if I'm <laughs> at my laptop or I'm sitting recording a Dharma talk. Like, it is, it is me experiencing the world. And in this way, Work is, as much as anything else, an opportunity for me to be exactly the person I most want to be, to live the life I most want to live, which has nothing to do with what I do, but how I am as I do, right? Like that's, the, that's what really winds up mattering. I, um, you know, I, I think a few, few months ago, we, we walked through... Uh, Osho Brad and I walked through all eight of the Eightfold Noble Path in the Fourth Noble Truth, right? And Brad talked about right livelihood. So livelihood work is, is a, it's a part of the path. It's right on the, the eight things that the Buddha said, focus on these eight things if you want to live an enlightened life, right? Foc- and one of them is work. And of course, there's the, in the Dharma, there's sort of r- rules, Buddhists don't really like to talk about rules too much, but, you know, kind of like ideas of, of what a, a effective or an enlightened kind of awakened livelihood looks like. And it's stuff like, you know, any, don't do anything that causes harm, right? If your job causes harm, then maybe it's going to be, Buddhism, nothing is either bad or good. It's sort of, it might not be so helpful or useful in relieving suffering, which is what this is all about, right? What, what living is all about, reducing suffering, eliminating it for ourselves and others. If you work in, a, in an environment that causes harm or you're causing harm in it, then the chance of you doing good work to relieve suffering for yourself and others is greatly decreases, right? So, you know, you can pick and choose jobs accordingly, but aside from that, Livelihood is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to, to be who I most want to be. That, uh, that when I get an email that otherwise would r- knock me off, uh, you know, completely knock me sideways, maybe I respond angrily and stressful, you know, and I spread that out to people among me, maybe it's an opportunity to see it clearly to see it mindfully, to see what's really going on here, to be the person I most want to be, and address it as it is, and, and have compassion for the people who, who I'm going to work with, and who may also react strongly that way. I could, be, I could be the person when they react just the way I did, maybe I can be cool, maybe I can be a, a good ear to listen to them and help them off the ledge, right? Instead of being on the ledge with them, and now we're, we're both in trouble. It all reminds me of a, of, a, of a 
story, I think Alan Watts, I think I, learned, I read this in an Alan Watts book. I think The Way of Zen, he tells this story. I'll, I'll relay it. Once upon a time, at the foot of a beautiful mountain, next to a beautiful stream, with a beautiful forest and spring flowers growing, there was a monastery, a Zen monastery, where, where monks lived and worked in pure, perfect, blissful harmony. They celebrated the great beauty of oneness together in this pristine, incredible, uh, just natural paradise. One day, a new monk arrived at the monastery, but he was kind of different right from the outset. He, he, he was, let his hair grow really long, like they had all shaved their heads, way longer than even mine. It was crazy. And he was kind of rude and obnoxious. And when they would sit in for zazen to meditate, he would scritch around really loudly. And he would snort and he would like do anything to kind of like, he would break wind noxiously. Whenever they would eat, he would he would slop and slurp at his bowl, and he'd make a huge mess, and he just, he never cleaned his bowl, which is part of the ceremony of eating. He'd wipe it ceremoniously. He didn't do any of that. He was absolutely awful. And all of that pristine beauty that they once experienced was nowhere to be found. And even though they were, they were monks, they got together and they decided this can't go on anymore. And they decided to get rid of him. So what they did is they, they huddled and they collected all the money that they had sort of collected in, in begging for alms and in, and in generating sales from, the flat, from selling the vegetables that they grew in their garden. And they hired a local man to come kidnap the obnoxious monk and take him far, far away. Well, it worked. Everything returned to the way it was. It was peaceful and quiet and silent. And the monks again experienced this pristine beauty that they once had known. One day the, the, the abbot of the monastery, the Roshi, the wisest Roshi there was, noticed that that new monk was not around. And he came up to the other guys and other, other nuns and said, Where, where's that guy? What, what, what happened to the, to the new monk? I, do, I don't see him anywhere. And with it, without a lot of hesitancy, because, you know, monks kind of knew what they had done wasn't exactly a monk-like thing to do, they confessed to the Roshi and they said, we couldn't take it anymore. We couldn't take it. He scritched around so loudly. He was so obnoxious. He didn't do any work. And he made everything horrible around here. So we paid to have him taken away. The Roshis, you, you paid to have him taken away? And they sheepishly, yes, we did. And the abbot responded, well, you better go find him because I'm paying him to be here. Of course, he was super-duper wise. He was a wise Russian. He, know, he knew that it doesn't, doesn't mean anything 
to be peaceful and blissful and cool and compassionate when there's nothing to be peaceful or cool or compassionate about. That's easy. This doesn't matter. It, how am I going to be, though, when life throws something my way? When, when I'm challenged? When something comes and I have to be the person I most want to be? I have a choice. I can freak out or I can be the person I most want to be. He knew. It is, it is our challenges in life that are our opportunities to, to live how we most want to live. That's how it happens. There is no other way. There is no other way. This is, this is the same with our jobs, with our work, with being in a place that we otherwise may not want to be. Now, I'm not talking about a truly dysfunctional workforce, right? Like if you're in a place that's truly dysfunctional, that in seeing it clearly and processing it mindfully, you come away with, I think this place is not a good fit for me then that's an excellent action to take, right? After mindfully processing it. But if, like me, you're creating something or some pain or suffering about it that isn't clear, that you could otherwise process and get some clarity around and realize, man, I'm doing this. That, you know, you're doing it, Brosef. Well, then maybe there's another way to be that has nothing to do with work. Maybe I can be a different version of myself the one I would choose to be in this opportunity that I'm, that I'm given at work. I, w- I hope that was helpful. I hope that uh, if you have questions or if you uh, are interested in learning more about how to process those thoughts or how to see them and what to do with them, that you'll reach out to us and uh, we are always here to help.